So today, I want to talk about a father's redemption. I love the song that we sang, that last song that we sang. He makes beautiful things out of dust. And so we're going to look at a story where there was a lot of dust, but something beautiful actually came out of it, okay? So I need everyone to, to get your thinking caps on because we got like five weeks worth of Bible study. We're going to try to cram into 30 minutes, okay, really quick. And I want to be uh, conscious of the time because I know some of you have some special lunches planned for your families and Father's Day and all that stuff. So uh, a father's redemption. We're going to start out talking here. At, we're going to look at the story, uh, what we would know as Joseph in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis Joseph in the coat of many colors. We all, that's one of my favorite, one of my favorite stories from the Old Testament. And one of my favorite figures from the Old Testament is Joseph. Uh, uh, and it covers basically from Genesis 37 through Genesis 49. That's quite, quite a big swath of the book of Genesis. And, and uh, David Lamprick shared a video with me recently of, of a, a minister and he started pointing out some things and it, it wound up sending me on a big time rabbit trail, <laughs> you know, just a big time rabbit hole of exploration. And, and the Lord started revealing some things to me about the story that I'd never seen before. Uh, and, and another character within this story that hops out like crazy once, once you see it, uh, and, and so we think that this whole, from Genesis 37 through 49, is about Joseph. But it's actually about another one of his brothers. Those of you who are nerds like me that grew up on Star Wars, right? I know I just lost half the crowd, but for the other half, I want to say this. You remember how, like, you, you, you remember how originally, you know, as you're growing up, you think that, like, Star Wars is about Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia and Han Solo and... Chewbacca and the droids and all that stuff. And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's what this movie's all about is, is their adventures. And then by the time you get through watching the first six episodes, right, uh, you know, before, before the Disneyfication of the following three or whatever, right, but the episodes one through six, you realize that the story really isn't about Luke and Leia and Han. And the, the story is really about Anakin Skywalker, Luke's dad, who becomes Darth Vader and then redeems himself, Right. You're like, oh, really? That's kind of what this whole adventure and hubbub is about. It's, that's really the line that we're following, even though it's set to the backdrop of all these other adventures. That's what happened to me with the story of Joseph. Okay, Now, let's, let's hop into this. Genesis 37, verse 2, it says, This is the history of the descendants of Jacob. Everyone say Jacob. And this is Jacob's line, singular line. Jacob had how many kids? You know, we all know this. Twelve. He had twelve sons. So it's not, this is about his lines. It's about his line. So there's, there's going to be one son that this begins a history of. And this is a fresh history. We have, we have multiple histories leading up to this. We have from Adam to Noah. And then from Noah, if you, if you study Genesis, it goes from Noah to Abraham. And now we go from Abraham to a reset, Jacob, right? Now, there's little offshoots that we learn about all throughout these histories, but it's following a, a main course, right? So here's the story. Now, what happens immediately in chapter 37, follow with me because we're going to cover a lot of grounds really, really quick. Immediately, it goes into... 
when Joseph was 17 years old. And so we think, oh, this is what the story, we're following Joseph, right? And we know the story of Joseph. He starts having these dreams. And in these dreams, it's all the symbolism where his brothers are starting to bow down to him and submit to his authority. All of these older brothers. Now, Jacob's got all these sons from two different women, right? Leah and Rachel. And he loved Rachel more than he loved Leah. And, and Joseph was the firstborn of Rachel. And so he loved Joseph. All of his love and adoration was on Joseph. He got the coat of many colors. Uh, and all the other sons knew that was dad's favorite. He made no, no issue of it. He didn't even try to hide it. Jacob loved Joseph. So Joseph goes and, and actually shares these dreams with his brothers. And his brothers kind of get insulted and say, man, you know what, man, you egotistical little jerk, you know. You're, you're, you think that we're actually going to bow down, bow down to you, and you're going to be putting authority over us, right? Not knowing that these were prophetic dreams. And so we all know the story, right? The brothers are out tending to the flocks. Jacob sends Joseph to check on them. They're like, ah, oh, here comes that little dweeb right now. Let's do something about this. We're sick of them. So we see, we start seeing some personalities of the brothers jump up. Reuben, who's the oldest brother. He was the firstborn of Leah. He was the oldest of the brothers. Reuben says, look, guys, this isn't right. You're plotting on, he's our brother. I don't want nothing to do with this. And he bails, right? Maybe that was noble. Maybe it was a little coward. I don't know. So we know the story. They jump Joseph. They beat him up. They harass him, tear up his clothes, tear up that pretty little coat that his dad made him threw him into an empty well. And they're trying to figure out how they're going to kill him because they're done with him. They sit, down, they sit down to eat lunch and discuss how they're going to kill him. Ask ah, some pretty wicked guys. You're going to kill your brother, right? He's in the well screaming. They're like, you know, look, do we want to feed him to an animal? Do we just want to get some rocks and stone him? Do we want to leave him in the, you know, we just leave him to die? How do we want to do this? And one brother... He wasn't even the oldest brother. The oldest brother took off, right? But one brother stands up and plays attorney. Now, he, he doesn't pick the right thing, but it's, it's a bit of a Saul Goodman, better call Saul situation, right? <laughs> where, where you're just, you're taking the lesser of some evils here. Notice, and Judah said to his brothers, there's one brother out of this whole group of brothers that said, whoa, hold up. He said to his brothers, what do we gain if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell to him, or let, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and Midianites and these mixed Arabians and, uh, who are approaching and let not our hand be upon him for he is our brother in our own flesh and his brothers consented. So he winds up standing up and he intercedes for Joseph. He says, look, we're not going to get, it's not going to do us any good if we have our, his blood on our hands. So I tell you what, now he knew they're not going to let him, you know, he's, they're not going to buy into it if he says, look, let's just let him go. Well, no, he's going to go back and tell dad what we did to him. So you know what? Look, here's some slave traders. Let's sell them to the slave traders, right? We all know the story. So Verse, uh, chapter 37 ends with, they sell him to the slave traders, they kill an animal, pour the blood all over his clothes, take it back to Jacob, or also known as Israel, take it back to Israel and says, look, we found Joseph's clothes. And Jacob starts mourning. He is broken. This is his, his most cherished son. Uh, by this time, the, the younger brother Benjamin had been born. 
Rachel, if you remember, Rachel died in childbirth. So he doesn't have Rachel anymore. So these two boys are the only thing left of Rachel, his most beloved wife, and, and now his most beloved son, he's assuming is torn to shreds, right, by a wild animal. And they let him assume it. Now, follow with me real quick. Chapter 38, go back and read it. It's crazy stuff. Chapter 38 does not continue with the story of Joseph yet. We take this sidetrack and we get this extra story about Judah. Because Judah kind of, you know, if, if you read the story, you kind of go, well, Judah's got a little bit of nobility about him maybe because he, he stepped up and he interceded for his brother. Everyone else wanted to kill him. He's the one. Now, Reuben didn't want to kill him, but Reuben bailed. Reuben didn't do nothing. He's like, man, I know what y'all are about to do. I'm out. Well, that's, you know, he didn't do anything about it. Judah is the one that said, well, don't kill him. Just, okay, sell him. At least give him a chance. So you would, you would be thinking, well, Judah's, Judah's an all right guy. Chapter 38, you find out Judah's a mess. Judah's a horrible dad. Judah's not too good of a guy either. <laughs> you know? Uh, and, and I want, I, by the end of this talk today, I want everyone to understand, if you're here and you're a dad, half the time, if, if we're really honest with ourselves, all of, our, all of us dads, we don't feel like we get it right <laughs> most of the time. You know, if our kids grow up and they turn out to be pretty quality people, we kind of go, whew, by the grace of God, I didn't mess it up too bad, right? But I want you to know that there is some redemption for you because we're going to see a redemption of a dad. So, so short order, let me kind of explain what happens in chapter 38. Judah, they get back. Apparently, Judah can't deal with all the guilt and everything else of what they did to Joseph and also seeing his dad just fall apart. So it says that Judah removed himself from his brothers. He went out and he married a Canaanite woman. Okay, which So he's not marrying a Hebrew woman like the law requires. He marries a Canaanite woman, the type of woman that, matter of fact, that Moses warned them all of. Don't let your kids marry these women over here. He goes and he marries one. And he has two sons. And they turn out to be pretty wicked guys. The oldest son marries a woman named Tamar. And the Bible says he was so wicked that God killed him. God took care of him himself. He's like, man, he's so wicked. Don't, don't worry about it, guys. I got him. Whack. Killed him. So according to the law of Moses, she, Tamar is given to the second son so that she can bear, he can give her a son and continue his brother's name and lineage. Son number two doesn't want any part of that. He takes her for a wife, but he won't impregnate her, which dishonors her and uses her and dishonors God. So God gets mad, kills him, whack. So son number three is young. So Judah tells Tamar, he says, look, I tell you what, go back to your hometown and wait for son number three to get older and I'll give you to son number three and he can give you a son. But the Bible says in his heart, he says, I am not gonna give her son number three because apparently Judah thought she was the black widow, like something was wrong with her, right? And said, I'm not going to give up son number three because son, I don't want son number three to die, right? And so time went on. Son number three grows up. He's not giving her uh, to son number three. She's still living as a widow in her hometown. That's not good. That means she is 100% dependent. They didn't have a welfare system back then. They didn't have special help from the government. It was just like, you're on your own, and that's not good. She needs, it would be nice for her to get a son, so at least in her old age, she would have someone to take care of her according to their custom. Right? Or at least a husband 
who would be able to support her as well. So Judah, his wife dies, that Canaanite lady dies. After he mourns, he goes and hangs out with all of his shepherds. So they go to take the flock into a village to get them sheared. Happens to be her hometown. She finds out Judah's there, her father-in-law's there. So she comes up with a scheme. She takes off her widow clothes, puts on a veil and dresses as a temple prostitute, goes and hangs out by the road. Judah goes and wants to purchase her services, right? And so he, he does this. He says, she goes, okay, what, what are you going to do? What are you, what are you going to give for me? And he goes, I'll give you a young goat. She goes, all right, I'm going to need some kind of security deposit before you send that young goat to me. And so vir- virtually he, she, he goes, what do you want? She goes, give me your passport and give me your staff, your walking staff. Sure. What would, what would be considered more like a passport or a signet, uh, signet ring and a walking staff? Okay, here. So now he's kind of messed up because he can't even do business really without this identification. And, and so the next morning he leaves, goes back to his guys. A few days later, he tells a friend, he says, hey, take this young goat back into that town, give it to the temple prostitute. So they shows back up. He goes to the men outside the gate, says, hey, where's this, where's this temple prostitute at? I need to give her this goat. And they're like, we don't even have a temple here. What are you talking about? There's no temple prostitute here. What are you talking about? No, my friend, you know, they're, you know, we don't even know what you're talking about. We, we don't have a town prostitute. So he goes back and he tells me, and so Judah's like, ah, man, that woman's got my passport. That woman's got my, you know, and I can't, I'm not going to go look for it because I'm going to look like an idiot. So whatever. So they go on. Well, three months pass by, right? So Judah right now, he's already raised two boys that were so wicked that God killed them. That's not very good fatherhood. He's disobeying the law of God by keeping his third son away from her. And then not only that, he goes and looks for a prostitute, not realizing that it's his daughter-in-law. How messed up. He is like royally failing as a dad. Right? And that's an understatement. He is making a mess. You want to talk about some dust? He's kicking up a lot of dust. What a train wreck. And I just thought, you know, after reading this, I thought, well, Judah's a pretty good guy. No, he's not, man. He, he had a shining moment. But look, he's getting it all wrong. Three months later, he finds out Tamar is pregnant. Someone's like, look, your daughter-in-law's pregnant. He goes, what? She's, she's disobeying or she, she's dishonoring our family. Bring her out and let's burn her. So as they're bringing her out to execute her, she goes, hey, by the way, okay, tell my father-in-law I'm, I'm pregnant by the guy whose passport and walking staff this is. So they bring it to him and he's, ah, you know busted and he actually says he goes she is far more righteous than i am because i refuse to give her my son and he knew he had totally disobeyed the law of god and he had dishonored his family name and she wound up with having twins and those twins are actually accounted to judah in his in his lineage and so he he obviously raised them the bible said that he took them in but he he, he never did have relations with her again but, but now she's in a good position because she's got two sons that can take care of her. And he is responsible for her because now she is considered, if anything, at least a concubine of sorts. So he's got a supporter in some way. So, you know, things turned out okay for Tamar. But what a mess, 
right? What a mess. Then chapter 39, we pick back up with Joseph, right? And, and so it's the coat of many colors. Of course, we, or, I mean, you know, we, we, we know that he gets sold to Potiphar's house, and we'll kind of glaze through this. We all know the story, right? Potiphar, Potiphar's, Potiphar's wife makes a pass at him. He says no, so she frames him, and then he gets thrown in prison, and then we know the, the king's two servants that come, and he, he interprets their dreams, and, but then they forget about him. He's like, hey, when you go back to Pharaoh, don't, you know, Give me a plug. So he's stuck in prison for a while, right? And then we, we all know the story. God elevates him to number two in all of Israel. The only, I mean, all of, uh, all of Egypt. The only person he has to answer to is uh, Pharaoh, right? Pharaoh gives him a name, uh, Zephanath-Paneah, uh, which actually means God speaks and lives. So that's kind of cool. Uh, gives Joseph a bride and sets him up, right? So he is over all of the land of Egypt and he gets them, he, he creates storehouses because he, he prophesies to Pharaoh, interprets his dreams, that, hey, you're going to have a famine come in. We, 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 you got several years of, of plenty. We need to store as much as we can because you're going to have several years of drought. And so he winds up saving the whole land and, and the whole known world at that time. Right? It's because everyone's coming to Egypt to get food, which makes Egypt even more wealthy. So he is blessing the house of Egypt. So we, we, we know the story. All of a sudden, Jacob and the rest of his sons are starving. So Jacob says, hey, load up the wagons, take some gifts, go get some food in Egypt. So they go, not realizing they're going to encounter their brother, who they're assuming possibly is dead or is whittling away as a slave somewhere. Right? And, and yet, if we read the story, we look at it as, hey, no matter what situation you're in, if you just walk with the Lord, he will elevate you. Just look at Joseph, right? And, and we can get that out of it. But follow the line. This is the history of the line of Jacob, right? There is a line. Say, well, yeah, Joseph. Man, Joseph is the hero of the story. Joseph didn't even get a tribe. They named his tribe after his two sons, right? Like when you, when you read the tribes of Israel, you don't have the tribe of Joseph. You have Manasseh and Ephraim. So Joseph hadn't even awarded a tribe. He was instrumental. So, so all of a sudden we know the story where the sons come they say, hey, we need to buy some food. He recognizes them. They don't recognize him. He's trying to keep himself composed. He starts kind of playing games with them. So where are you from? You're spies, aren't you? You're spies that came to scout out their land. They're like, no, 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 no. We're simple uh, sheep herders. We, we're from, from Canaan land. And, and our father, we have, we have, we're, we're sons of one father. There used to be 12 of us. Now there's 11. One of them, uh, yeah, he died. And, and he goes, really? So you have another brother. I, don't, I only see 10 of you here. He said, well, we got a younger brother back home, Benjamin. But our father doesn't let him out of his sight because, man, this, you know, he, he, he's beloved. And so he goes, oh yeah, oh, yeah, well, then prove it. Prove to me that you're not spies. So I'm going to keep one of you here in prison. And then the rest of you go back to your dad and bring your, your brother, the youngest brother, so you can prove to me that you're not lying. And they're, man, dad's never going to go for that. Well, in the meantime, he loads them up with all the food they want, even puts their money back in the sacks, right, 
to, to prank them. And, of course, they're scared, thinking, oh, this guy's going to think that we're thieves. And, oh, my man. So they go back, and they tell Jacob all about this and say, look, we got to go get our brother back, but we got to take Benjamin, to which Jacob or Israel says, no, absolutely not. You really do want to kill me, don't you? Because Joseph, Joseph was like my beloved, and this is all I got of Rachel now. And this is all I got of Joseph. This is his younger brother Benjamin. No. End of story. No. No deal. So all the brothers just settle. Huh? Okay. They got one brother in prison back in Egypt. They're, you know, of all these brothers. And they're not going to intercede. They're not going to do anything. So time passes. They almost run out of food again. And Jacob says, hey, go back and buy more food. And they said, we can't. The only way we can do it is if we take Benjamin. And he says, not going to happen. Go buy food. We can't. So who was it? Look who it was who actually stepped up. Again, Judah, the guy who made a mess of his life in chapter 38. The guy who was a horrible dad who just messed up his family, impregnated his own daughter-in-law. How crazy is this stuff? <coughs> of all these boys... Judah, once again, that skill of intercession pops up. And Judah said to Israel, his father, or Jacob, send the lad with me, give me Benjamin, and we will arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will be security for him. You shall require him of me personally if I do not bring him back to you and put him before you then let me bear the blame forever. We're starting to see a little growth. Judah says, not only am I going to talk you into this, but I will take personal responsibility. That's a little weighty, right? So we know the story. They take Benjamin back. Of course, they still don't realize this is Joseph. Joseph is seeing his, his full-blood brother for the first time in years and years. And he's trying to contain himself. So he goes ahead and throws, he's like, oh, okay, well, you're not spies. How about that? And he throws a big old feast for him. And he winds up giving Benjamin five times more. I mean, they got like a chicken leg and a chicken thigh. Man, Benjamin got the breast, the wing, the thigh, you know, two helpings of mashed taters and a whole bowl of baked beans. I mean, he got the works, right? And they were thinking, how what in the world's going on? And so he winds up pranking him one more time. All right, go on back home. See ya. Have fun. Loads him up with food. But he tells his servants, I want you to put my expensive drinking cup in that guy, in Benjamin's bag. So they get about three miles outside of town, and all of a sudden the police show up. Pulls him over, right? And says, hey, one of y'all sold, you know, our master's cup is missing and he's thinking, when do y'all have it? And they're like, well, we didn't tell you. Why would we? What, what, you think we're idiots? Search our bags. Matter of fact, we brought the money back that we found back in our bags. So, like, we, we, we've proven ourselves. Sure, we have nothing to hide. And sure enough, there was in Benjamin's bag. And they're like, oh, he's got to go back. So they put, they put him in cuffs. They stick him in the squad car. And, on, and, and what's, what's incredible and I'd never seen it before. In, in, in chapter 44, verse 14, it says, 
It didn't say, and the brothers all went back to Egypt. It said, Judah and the brothers went back to Egypt. Judah was the first one to follow the police chariot. And the brothers followed him. Here's a guy who blew it. Now, you can't tell me that the rest of the brothers weren't losers at some point. But apparently Judah was bad enough he got his own chapter, chapter 38. And it was not a history you really, I mean, think about it. Here we are thousands of years later, and we know all about his mess. You know, we don't know anything about Reuben's mess. We don't know anything about Levi's mess, right? But man, we know about Judah. He blew it. What a pathetic dad. And yet here he is, when it all mattered, He's heading back to Egypt. And so they get in front of Joseph again, not knowing it's Joseph. And Joseph's like, yep, that young man's going to jail. And they said, no, 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 you can't throw him into jail. No, 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 no. And he goes, no, guys, look, I'm not arresting all y'all. Y'all are fine. Go back with your dad. Have a good life. Eat well. This guy, though, he stole from me. He's going to jail. They said, no, you can't. Now notice, out of all of them, once again, who stepped up? Then Judah came close to Joseph. Man, that took some courage because you're not supposed to get close to this royalty. But he was, he was desperate enough that he didn't care. He, he came close to Joseph and said, oh my Lord, let your servant pray you. Speak a word to you in private and let not your anger blaze against your servant for you are as Pharaoh. So I will speak as if directly to him. He had the courage to go, hey, sir, look, can, can I have a private word with you, please? Seriously, you got armed guards everywhere. You're associating with a criminal, be it a framed criminal, and now you're asking me to, for a private word. And he tells him, he's like, look, you don't understand. My dad, I'm the one that talked my dad into letting him go and like, come here. And I even said, I, I will be held personally responsible. If I don't bring, if that kid does not make it back home, my dad will die, and that's on me. And then look what he says here. Now, therefore, I pray you, let your servant, instead of the youth, to be a slave, or instead of the youth to be a slave to my Lord, and let the young man go home with his half-brothers. What he said was, I cannot let you take Benjamin. Take me instead. So now Judah is not only quite the intercessor, he interceded with his father on behalf of his brothers. Judah now is a willing sacrifice. Take me in Benjamin's place. At that point, that's when Joseph began to cry and revealed who he was. And he said, look, no, nobody's going to jail. It's me, it's Joseph. And we know the rest of the story. They were able to get all of their family, the whole clan of Jacob came to Egypt, weathered the storm. A few hundred years later, they exited Egypt to go get the promised land. They came in as just a nomadic tribe and they left as a conquering nation. The story, the line of Jacob really isn't about Joseph. That's the backdrop. This story is really about Judah. Starting out as a pathetic dad, 
but there's redemption for a dad. This story gives me hope because I haven't gotten it all right all the time as a dad. I've done my best, but even sometimes my best has fallen short. I've given it my best. My girls still come from a broken home. That haunts me. I'm just going to be really human. And folks say, well, you can't, you, know, you, can't, you can't take the blame for all that. I, look, I realize that. But still, as a dad, it haunts me. And sometimes I wonder, have I messed them up? And really, every, every dad in here has probably asked yourself that question. If you're going to get honest, man, have I really just messed things up? I mean, I hadn't messed it up Genesis 38 bad, right? I ain't, <laughs> you know, I give myself that much credit. But notice, even after all of his mistakes, God placed two characteristics within him. He was a good intercessor, and he was a willing sacrifice. And out of all 12 of those boys, God said, him, not Joseph. Man, Joseph had all the money. <laughs> Joseph had all the fame now. Joseph had accurate prophetic dreams. His brothers did bow down to him and submit to him. God said, Judah. Judah wasn't even the firstborn. He was the fourthborn of Leah. And not even the wife that was favored. But he said, him. For what? For the line, the line of Jacob. The line of Jacob is not about all the other brothers. The line of Jacob is about Judah. And when it came time, Jacob knew he was about to die. So he goes to bless his sons. And a lot of his sons, if you go read up on those blessings, it's kind of funny because he, he, they come in to have their dad bless them. And he goes, you, Reuben, are a knucklehead. Yeah, <laughs> you know? You, Levi, are a bit of an idiot. You know, I mean, it, it wasn't always favorable. Dan, whoo, where do I even start? You know, but look, chapter 38, let you know just how messed up Judah was. But look at chapter 39, when he lays hands on Judah, Jacob says, Judah, your brothers will praise you. Wait a minute. We started in 37 with dreams about the brothers praising Joseph. Ultimately, this is the story. The story isn't about that. The story is really about Judah. He says, Judah, your brothers will praise you. You will grasp your enemies by the neck. All your relatives will bow before you. Judah, my son, is a young lion that has finished eating its prey. Like a lion, he crouches and he lies down. Like a lioness, who dares rouse him? Sounds like a completely different guy than chapter 38, doesn't it? Because there is redemption for fathers today. Because the father knows how to redeem all things. He doesn't, he doesn't resolve all things. You're going to have some things in your life that you're like, I, don't, I have no explanation for that, and I'll never have an explanation as to why this happened. But he will redeem it. Dads, understand, you may have blown it, but if you have faith in Christ and you believe and you follow the Lord, he's placed enough of him in you that it's powerful enough to be passed on. Because look at this, it says, verse 10, the scepter will not depart from Joseph. Joseph was the one ruling, right? No, the, the, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants until the coming of the one 
to whom it belongs, the one whom all nations will honor. What an incredible messianic prophecy. He ties his foal to a grapevine, the colt of his donkey to a choice vine. He washes his clothes in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. What an incredible foretelling of Christ. Who, consequently, if you read Matthew chapter 1 and read the lineage of Christ, he is traced all the way back to the tribe of Joseph. Nope. To the tribe of Levi, the priests. Christ came from the tribe of Judah. The guy who totally blew it in chapter 38. That pathetic dad found redemption. And Jesus said, guess where I got my ability to intercede and to be a willing sacrifice. Matter of fact, Revelation chapter 5, verse 5, but one of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. It's talking about Christ. Christ is identified as the lion of Judah. And look, he's acting just like his great-great-great-great-great-grandpappy. The lion of the tribe of Judah knows how to intercede, but because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. Christ, every day of your life, intercedes with the Father on behalf of the Brethren, which is exactly what Judah did. He interceded with his father on behalf of his brothers. Not only that, 1 Timothy 2.6, he gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message God gave to the world at just the right time. He became a willing sacrifice so that we wouldn't have to bear the punishment for sin. He said, no, you know what? I'll do it. Take me instead. Where did Christ get that drive in his DNA? Because God planted it in the DNA and the, con- the consciousness of a man named Judah, who was a pretty bad dad to start out with. But because he was willing to step up and be not unknowns to him because it was generations before, but he was very Christ-like intercession and a willing sacrifice. Those traits followed that line generation after generation after generation. He didn't just save his family. He wound up passing traits that eventually saved the whole world. What a redemption story for dads. Dads, if you think you blew it today, just be patient with yourself. Let Christ do some work in you and have trust that the amount of Christ you pass on is going to have an impact. It will come to fruition. 
and it will impact the world far more than what you knew. Who Judah had no clue. He was just trying to save his family. He had no clue that, it, that these traits would snowball and save the world through Christ Jesus. Let's all stand. A father's redemption. Lord, we love you and we glorify you. I thank you for every dad who's represented here today. And Lord, none of us, none of us get it right. <laughs> but thank God that you are right and you are just and you are gracious and you are holy. We commit ourselves to you to try to pass your word along to our children. And Lord, we thank you that your grace is sufficient to cover our flaws in trying to do so. Thank you that there is redemption for fathers today. Thank you that there's redemption for every single one of us. That we can find grace, truth, and salvation in you. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Everyone say amen.